Thanks for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. Today we're going to use as our uh, reference today the theme verse of this series, Transformed, from Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read these first two verses. And today we want to change your life by changing your mind. We've talked about, talked about spiritual health and last week physical health, dealing with our stress. And today we want to talk about mental health, how to stay healthy in the level of our thoughts. And this is very, very critical to a transformed life. So I hope it will be encouraging to you. Again, from Romans chapter 12, read the first couple of verses there. I'll invite you to stand as you're able to hear God's word. The Apostle Paul, writing the church at Rome, said, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. May God inspire us today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Let me sum up what I want to say in this whole sermon with one statement. So I, I just, here's the summary statement. You ready? God is far more interested in changing your mind or changing the way you think than he is in your circumstances. God's far more interested in changing the way you think about your life than he is about changing your circumstances. Sometimes we think if God would just remove my problems, my pain, my sorrow, my sickness, my suffering, then life would be okay. But God knows that simply removing our problems wouldn't set us up well for the next day. He knows, though, that if we can learn how to manage our thoughts, to discipline our thinking, we will then be best prepared for dealing with whatever comes next. If we think properly about God, think properly about ourselves, think properly about the world we live in, it'll help us be prepared for whatever comes our way. In the top of your bulletin uh, outline, you'll see three bullets there that begin with, a, with the word because. I want to just uh, begin there, why we need to manage our thoughts, our minds. The first reason is because my thoughts control my life. My thoughts control my life. Listen to Proverbs 4.23. It says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Be careful then how you think. There are people in this room today that when you were a young young person and in your formative years, someone that you knew, someone important in your life, maybe a parent, maybe another family member, maybe it was a teacher, maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a neighbor uh, person, some, some person who, whose voice you listened to said something to you about you that has impacted your entire life. And what those persons said to you that impacted you so profoundly were either good things or they were bad things. Many of us had people say to us things like, you're going you're gonna to turn out to be no good. You're going to be worth less. You're not going to matter. You know, you're ugly. You're dumb. You're awkward. Those kinds of demeaning statements have actually impacted our lives and actually challenged us at the level of our thinking about ourselves and our relationship with God to this very day. And so it impacts our lives, and that's why we want to manage our minds, because the way you think actually controls your whole life. Here's the second bullet, and that is because the mind is the battleground for sin. It's where we do battle with temptation. Temptation comes first as a thought. I mean, think about sinful behaviors in your life. If there's lust or pride or hatred or fear or bitterness or envy, that sort of thing. All of these sins actually take place in our thoughts. You know, I'm a bitter person when I think about people who have offended me. Romans 7, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul said, I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned. You know, this new person that Christ has made me become. But there's something else deep within me that is at war with my mind. There's something else going on inside of me that battles in my mind. And sometimes wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin within me. In my mind, I want to be God's servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So there's, there is another issue at work in us. There's a battle then going on for our thoughts and for our actions as a result. 
Uh, because whatever gets your attention gets you. And you want to be able to discipline your thoughts. So the mind is the battleground for sin. Here's the third bullet as we begin. And that is because it's the key. That is managing our mind. It's the key to peace and happiness. If you're able to manage your thoughts well, that leads to tranquility, peace, confidence, strength, even serenity. But if we don't manage our thoughts well, especially if, especially if our, our thoughts are often confused about what's best for us, it can lead to tension, pressure, conflict, stress. Listen to Romans 8, 6. It says, if your sinful nature controls your mind, your sinful nature controls your mind, then there's death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, then there's life and there's peace. So it's very important that we learn to manage our minds. Now, what we want to do today is talk about three habits that we can actually engage on a daily basis to help manage the way we think, manage our thought life, because it is so critically important, these three things. Now, let me remind you that the devil, the devil wants to try to, to influence what you think, and he will drop thoughts into your mind, and he'll try to, try to control the negative thoughts in your, in, your, in your mind. And also, we will sometimes ask God to help us with the management of our mind. But let me just say this. God doesn't, God doesn't control your mind. You control your mind. The devil doesn't control your mind. You control your mind. So wait a minute. My mind is uncontrollable. My mind sometimes just goes. My mind has a mind of its own. And off it goes, and I have no control whatsoever over what I'm thinking. Actually, you do. Every thought that you have, uh, every thought that you entertain, every stream of thought that you engage is actually a choice you make. Because God has designed us so that we decide what we think about. I don't have to think about anything I don't want to think about. And I can prefer to think about things that I, that I choose. And so that's a very important thing. Now, with that in mind... Let's talk about these three choices, these habits, if you will, to a healthy mind. The first one is this. I must feed my mind with truth. Feed my mind with truth. Now, we all know the importance of nutrition. If we eat healthy foods, a balanced diet, that will tend toward a healthy physical body. And if we eat a bunch of junk food and a bunch of bad stuff and fast food and all of that, that sooner or later there will be consequences to our physical health. Now, we get that. I mean, that's obvious to us. Now, let's just transfer that whole notion, that whole principle over to our thought life and the way we think. Now, now consider it this way. If I fill my mind with things that are true and good and right and pure and worth repeating, it stands to reason that your mind is going to be a healthier thing than if you allow your mind to entertain thoughts that are destructive and divisive and debilitating. It's just, isn't, isn't it right? And so I must feed my mind with truth. Let me tell you something that you probably don't know about. There's a group that has enormous influence on in our world, and it's called the Oxford Analytica. Oxford Analytica. Every day about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, the leading scholars at Oxford University gather in a room and get reports from all around the world of what's happened in the last 24 hours. And then they talk about those events. It could be crop prices in China or, or uh, unrest in the Middle East or weather patterns on the East Coast. And then they make a decision about what needs to be said about that particular phenomenon having occurred in the last 24 hours. And then they ask the question, who best in the world could address this particular subject? And then they email this, these experts around the world. And by about 11 o'clock in the morning, every, every morning... There is a report that is given through the Oxford Analytic, Analytica, it's, and, and this is paid for by groups like the United States CIA, nations like Russia and China, world leaders, major corporations. They all look to Oxford Analytica to get their daily report, and they pay big bucks for this information. Now, there are about 20 people who make up the Oxford Analytica with all these other consultants around the world. Oxford Analytica is founded on this simple idea that the best leaders make the best decisions when they are given the best information. Now that actually makes sense, doesn't it? The best leaders make the best decisions when they're given the best information. And that that's just makes uh, all kinds of logic. 
And what we know is that you can be a great leader. You can, you can be just a fabulous leader with particular leadership gifts. But if you don't have good information, you're not going to make good decisions. The very best leaders can make bad choices if they're fed bad information. And when we hear that, we go, well, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So now transfer that into your own thinking and to the choices that you make in your life. Now, we're not the Oxford Analytica, but you need the best information to live the best life that God wants you to live. And so the information that we need, the best information that we need to make the right decisions in our lives is the truth of God's Word. We need to know God's plan, God's truth, in order to have the best information necessary to make these choices. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, people need more than bread for their life. They need more than natural food. They must feed on every word of God. The Bible is our soul food. It's our own owner's manual, if you will, uh, for life. So when should I feed my mind with the truth? Well, we should try to do this all the time. You, you've heard me say that a simple devotional practice that I have is I pick a book of the Bible, and for that season of time, that month or two, I'll just go through that book of the Bible. Maybe it's a gospel or one of the New Testament letters or one of the Old Testament uh, wisdom literature, Psalms or Proverbs, and I'll just mark my place in the Bible each day. And all I do, very simply, it's not complicated, is I sit down and I pray a simple prayer. Lord, speak to me today through your word. Speak to me. And then I just start reading. And I may read a whole chapter, I may read two chapters, or I may read one verse. I just read until something goes there. That's something that you should be aware of. That, that, that will help you. That's, uh, that's an area where, of improvement for your life. And I just read until something meaningful speaks to me, and I just linger there. And I may be three minutes doing it. I may be 20 minutes doing it. I just do it until the truth of God's Word speaks to me, and now I have that verse, and I have the basic concept of it, and I carry it with me all day. And so when I say, you know, all the time, expose yourself to God's truth, that's what I mean. You give yourself to God's truth, and you allow it just to percolate in your heart and mind as you go through the day. Listen to Psalm 119, verse 147. David said, I rise early to cry out for help. That's prayer. And I put my hope in your words. That's the Bible. And so David said, this is what I do. In the morning, I get up and consider your word. Psalm 119, verse 97 says, Lord, how I love your word. I think about it all day long. Psalm 16, 7, even in the darkest of night, your teachings fill my mind. So here, we, here it is, morning, noon, and night. David's saying, look, this is what I fill my life with. I fill my mind, my thoughts with, with the truth of your word. Did you know there are over 7,000 promises in the Bible? 7,000 promises. Some of you actually have a, what's called a pocket promise Bible. And there are, there are books that have been done, and it's, it's a thematic. So that if you have a particular issue, maybe you need peace in your mind. Or maybe you're dealing with temptation. Or, or you're dealing with unforgiveness. And these are, this is a subject that you're, that you're processing. You just go to this particular kind of Bible, and you look for that theme, and you turn to that page, and then there are, there are the listing of all these scriptures that pertain to how you can deal with temptation or how you can forgive someone. And it's very helpful. I encourage you to have one. Every Christian ought to have one of these so that you can easily access the promises of God pertaining to that particular issue in your life. And so the truth of God's Word can inform the way we think. Uh, let me remind you about David, King David, who wrote these words about morning, noon, and night. I'm, I'm submitting to the thoughts of your Word. David, as you'll recall, last week I mentioned that he was on the run early in his adult life from Saul, the king who was trying to kill him. And David was running for his life, but he never raised a hand against Saul. He entrusted to God uh, the outcome of his enemies. And that's something we learned about, about our health last week. This same David now, as he's running for his life, this is a guy who woke up for years, woke up every morning at the top of the most wanted list in his country, and a bounty on his head, and literally all of the resources of the nation of Israel employed to find him and kill him. How many of you know that could create some stress? You know, just a little anxiety. You know, maybe some mental health issues. <laughs> Why are you so paranoid? What are you talking about? 
I mean, every day you wake up and they're after you. I just doubt that any of us have experienced that sort of thing. But this is what David said in that context. This is really fascinating. Psalm 119, verse 95, he says, When wicked people hide to ambush and kill me, I quietly keep my mind on your decrees. I don't know about you, but if they're after me, I'm calling 911. I'm headed for the hills. I'm on the run. I'm wringing my hands. I'm doing a bunch of stuff. Here's what David suggested. He said, look, I can stress over that or I can keep my mind established on the decrees and promises of God. That's, that is really helpful. Yeah, I just say wow to that. I quietly keep my mind on your decrees. Wow. So I feed my mind all the time. Here's the second thing that we can do every day to manage our thoughts, and that is I must free my mind from destructive thoughts. Free my mind. So I need to feed my mind with truth, but I need to free my mind of destructive thoughts. We need to be delivered from some thoughts, released from them, uh, set free from them. And that isn't easy because they're enemies of our thought life. Let me tell you what they are. The, the one enemy to our thought life is my old nature. You want to write that down. My old nature. Romans 7, 23, I see in my body a principle at war with the law of my mind, taking me captive to the law of sin that dwells within me. So Paul was saying that there is an old nature, there's an old man, there's an old way of thinking, there's an old tendency that I have in my, in my life, my old nature. That's why the Bible promises that any, if any person is in Christ. He becomes a new creation. The old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And so there is this new man that emerges when you become a Christian, and it has to then contend with the old man who's still there, present, that needs to be worked on over the course of your life. Uh, let me put it this way. Do you ever find yourself doing things that you don't really want to do? It's like a trick question, right? Do I ever find myself doing things I really don't want to do? Yeah. Let me say it this way. You don't have to raise your hands on this. In fact, don't. But have you ever knowingly engaged in self-defeating behavior? Knowingly engaged in self-defeating behavior? I know this isn't good for me, but I'm going to do it anyway. Gosh, we all can relate to that, can't we? That's, and that's this struggle. Romans 8, 5 says, Those who are dominated by their sinful nature, that old thing, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit... Think about things that please the Spirit. So the first enemy is our old nature. Now here's the second enemy to our thought life, and that is the devil himself. Satan wants to control your mind. Now he can't control your mind. In fact, as a Christian person, the devil can't make you do anything you don't want to do. That old adage, the devil made me do it. Mm. No. Now he may have dropped the thought in your mind to do it, and it may have been a very powerful thought, may have been very, very persuasive thought, but you had to choose. Have you ever been in a moment, like, for example, you were in prayer. I mean, deep in prayer. You were really trying to pray. You were trying to connect with God, and you were, you were fervent in prayer, and you were praying, and all of a sudden this weird, wild, random thought just comes into your head. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, maybe even it's just not, not just a random thought, but maybe a, a nasty thought, maybe even an evil thought comes into your hand. You praise, God, I thank you for your purity and your holiness, your greatness. God, you're so great. And then poof, something gets in your head. Has that ever happened to you? Is that, am I the only one? Oh. But that's the devil dropping thoughts. This is where we, this is where we deal with the devil in the, at the level of our thoughts. Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, says, listen, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head. In other words, you can't keep the devil from dropping thoughts into your head. But let me just add to that, this is, this is how I, I'd finish that quote, but you can keep him from dumping on your head. I mean, you can, you can duck, you can move. You can keep the devil from messing you up. So don't, don't believe everything that comes into your mind. In fact, I'm about to liberate some folks right now by this statement. Don't believe everything you think. You know, some people who think, well, I thought it, it must be true. What? No, seriously? Stop that. <laughs> Just because you think something doesn't make it true. You say, well, yeah, of course. Except 
When we think a thing, we tend to believe it to be true. Well, I thought it, so it must be true. Why would it come into my head if it wasn't true? I mean, brilliant as I am. <laughs> Listen, when we, say, when, we say, when we say the devil speaks to us, we call it temptation. When, when God speaks to it, we call, we call that inspiration. When we come up with a thought of our own, we call that stupidity. <laughs> you can't believe everything you think. Are you kidding? So d just don't. I don't have to believe everything I think. Now be free. You don't have to believe everything you think. Um, you think things about God that aren't true. You think things about your husband or your wife that aren't true, your life, your community. You think things about the government that aren't true. It's just not true because you thought it. Here's what the devil does. The devil tends to drop thoughts into our mind that he knows we will be vulnerable toward. For example, for some of you, you'll hear things like, you're not going to have a good day today. Mm -mm. It's going to be a really bad day. It's going to be a bad week. In fact, nobody's going to like you. And, 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 and don't forget, you're ugly. In fact, you're so ugly that if I were you, I wouldn't even go out and show my face in public. Really, you shouldn't. It's just not good for you. And by the way, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Nobody who does what you do could be a Christian. Uh, who are you trying to kid? Why even try to live the Christian life? You can't do it. You're not going to make it. You'll never amount to anything. And then sometimes the devil will just say to you, you know, go ahead. You deserve it. You've been offended. You've been wounded. You've been betrayed. You've been wronged. How dare they say that to you? Go ahead. Be angry. Be bitter. Be judgmental. Be critical towards others. If anyone deserves to be critical of others, it's you. You've really had a hard time. So go ahead. Let that go. I... Uh, let me just say, say this to you, too. Uh, the way I just described that would imply that the devil would come and say, uh, look, I'm the devil. I'm the enemy of your soul. I'm trying to destroy your life. And so here's what I want you to think about right now. You'd go, listening to you, nasty thing. This is what the devil does. He usually drops a thought into your head that is, that is in first person singular. So you don't, you don't know overtly that it's the devil. You imagine that it's just a thought that you've had and that it's true. And so the way it will play out in your head is, I'm ugly. I'm worthless. I'm not a Christian. I must not be a Christian. How could I be a Christian and, and behave this way and have these impulses that I have? I, I'm, not, I'm not right. I'm not good. I, my life's not going to turn out right. I, I'm not going to have a good day. A person like me doesn't deserve to have a good day. I, I'm a mess. I'm pitiful. I, I might as well just give up. And you see the difference? And that's the nature of these thoughts. But let me remind you that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You don't have to listen to that nonsense, and you don't have to put up with it, because you choose what you're going to think about. I want to talk about that a little bit later. Here's the third enemy of your, of your thought life, though. Not just not, not, not your own nature, and the devil himself, but there's a world system, a world value system uh, at play. The world is not helping you be more disciplined, are they, as a person? Uh, does anything in our society speak to self-discipline? All the media, all, the, all this uh, marketing, you know, you deserve a break today. Have it your way. We do it all for you. The Mountain Dew commercial is my favorite. Obey your thirst. At all costs, obey your thirst. <laughs> wow. The world has their value system. 1 John 2.16 says, All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, you know, this, these, these old standards of money, sex, and power, you know, the, the, those, those aren't just axioms. Those are actual real temptations that come to real people. But it's not of God. All the commercials, the media, they're encouraging you not to think smart, not to think healthy, not to think wise. So how do you fight against this battle? Let me give you some practical ideas now on how to deal with your thought life in a redemptive way. How to be mentally healthy. The verse that I want to use is really a linchpin. The most practical verse I know in the Bible about this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 3 to 5. And this is what... Paul writes, 
to the church at Corinth. He said, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. The weapons we have are divinely powerful to demolish strongholds. Hear that phrase, to demolish strongholds. Our weapons have divine power to tear down these strongholds and we demolish any argument, every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshly, they're not of the earth, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds, to the demolition of these strongholds. Now, here's, here's what I want you to hear. The first question we might say is, okay, God's going to give me divine power to deal with my thought life, to pull down these strongholds. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is anything in your life that you believe to be true, which is actually a lie. Anything you believe, which is a lie, can become a stronghold in your life. For example, the lie might be, God really doesn't love me. God doesn't really love me. He loves everybody else, but... I know he doesn't love me because I, I I'm not lovable. I know me. And God, I'm sh sure God doesn't love me. Listen, that's a lie. That is a lie. And you are deceived if you believe it. That's, that's the definition of deception. Cause to believe a lie. Cause to believe something to be true that's not true at all. And if you actually believe that God doesn't love you, then you're deceived because God does love you. God really, really, really does love you. Is so why would he love someone like me? I don't know. I'm not God. I don't know why God would love somebody like me. I know me better than you know me. And pff, Come on. Why would God love me? All I know is God loves me. Because that's the truth. And he demonstrated his love for me in that while I was still in my sins and hopeless and undone and separated from him by that rebellion, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for me. For God so loved the world that he did that. So I know God loves me. I know he loves me. And he, I know he loves all of us. So the truth is God loves me. And that's what I should be thinking. The lie might be I know better than God what to do and what will make me happy. I know better than God what will fulfill my life. And so I'm just going to do what I think is best to fulfill my life. But listen, if you think you know better than God, that's a lie. That's not true. Because you don't know better than he does. Um, what will make you happy? A stronghold could be a false value system like in the world. I could be a philosophical system like, like hedonism that the only thing that matters is pleasure. So I'm going to spend my life just pursuing happiness and fun. So long as I'm having fun, then life is full. But if I'm a hedonist, look, that's a lie. That's not where you find ultimate meaning and fulfillment. Or it could be materialism. A philosophical worldview that says that making money and accumulating stuff is the key to ultimate fulfillment. But that's actually a lie. Materialism does not ultimately satisfy. So secularism, hedonism, materialism, back to this adage, money, sex, and power, all of these things allure us and tempt us and suggest to us that maybe that's the key to happiness, but those are not God's best plan. Some, for some people, it's about forgiveness. I can't forgive the other. That can become a stronghold in your life. Or I can't forgive myself. I can forgive everyone else, but I can't forgive me. My choices, my decisions in life have left me at the state where I simply cannot forgive myself for what I have done. And that can become a stronghold because now the devil will exploit that and your own carnal nature will exploit that. And the thought will come in your head, listen, I'm never going to amount to anything. I'm no good. I'm worthless. I'm never going to achieve. I'm never going to make it. I'm, I, I, I was told when I was a kid that I was no good, that I'm not smart, that I'm ugly, that I'm awkward, and I'm just not going to be a successful, happy, happy person. And so people began to entertain those thoughts, and it can become a stronghold that actually takes grip of you and takes root in you and pulls you down and keeps you from God's best plan. There are people who hit this ceiling that, that you can't see, and they, just, they can't ever succeed, and they can't get past it, and they can't get beyond it because they have believed a lie, and it's become a stronghold in their life that they can't break free from. But here's what the Bible says. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the what? Pulling down of these strongholds to the destruction of these strongholds. 
that these strongholds that can so easily grip our lives and do can be destroyed, demolished. Now that's good news. That's really helpful. And the way we do that is by the way we think. He says if you're going to learn to be mentally healthy, then you've got to learn how to demolish the strongholds in your life because behind every sin there's some kind of lie that you're believing. So the stronghold needs to be destroyed. Now how do we fight this mental battle? Now here's the rest of these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, mighty through God to the pulling down of these strongholds. Now watch this. And we are, and we are casting down every imagination, every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're casting those things down. So here's what the Bible, this is a very practical step because here's what happens to me. If, when I was a kid, I was told, you're never going to amount to anything. You're just no good. You don't have what it takes. You just don't have it. So you just get used to that. In fact, you are worthless. And so here's a stronghold that has, that has taken root in your life. And here's what happens to me. I cast down imagination. What, is, what, what do we have this capacity for? We're, we are enormously intelligent. We're made in the image and likeness of God. We have this enormous capacity to imagine, to dream. You know, we began this whole series by saying, I challenge you in this series to dream big dreams. Because you have the capacity for that. And so what happens is when a stronghold takes root in your life, you stop dreaming big dreams and you start imagining just how poor it is. And your imagination, we're casting down imaginations. If the devil comes to you and says, you're going to have a bad day. It's going to be a lousy day. You're not going to close that deal. You're not going to pass that test. You're not going to succeed in that athletic event. You're going to have a lousy, it's going to be your worst performance ever. And now your imagination runs with that. Oh, man, where'd that thought come from? Maybe that's true. You know what, guys, maybe that's God. Maybe that's a, perm that's a premonition from God. I'm going I'm to fail today. Well, and you, so your imagination takes that runs with it. Or you go to the doctor and he says, we're not sure about this test. You know, I'm, we're going to have to have a follow-up test. And between that test and the 10 days when you have the follow-up test, your brain already has you with stage 4 terminal cancer, and you're going to lay suffering five times longer than anyone else has ever suffered in, 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 in a terminal state. And your imagination just runs wild with that. But the Bible says we want to cast down imaginations. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And this is how we do it, by bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every thought captive. Now remember, every thought that comes into your mind doesn't always originate from a good place because your old nature can come up with bad things, the devil can come up with bad things, the world itself can come up with bad thoughts that get into your head. And so what you have to do is take captive Every thought that comes into your head. And what I use as a filter for myself is Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 says whatever is good, pure, lovely, gracious, worth repeating. Let your mind dwell on these things. And so a thought comes into my head, you're going to die. Let's see, is that good, lovely, pure, gracious, worth repeating? Hmm, out, out. Out of my mind. Because I choose what I'm going to think about. You know, you're, you're more than just intellect. You're also will and emotions. This is who God made you to be. You have a will. And so you decide what you're going to think about. Well, you have a terminal disease. Or you're sick. You're, you're sick. Under, you're, not, you're not going to live three months. You're dead. Yeah, you're dead. That's it. That's the end of you. Too bad. You know, done. Wait a minute. Is that good? Lovely? Pure, gracious. You, your career is going to fail. Your marriage is going to implode. That's it. You, it's, it's fragile. You know it is. One more thing. That'll be it. She'll leave you. Just as sure. That's it. It's going to happen. Is that lovely, good, pure, gracious, worth repeating? Stop it. Get out of my head. So I become a gatekeeper. I bring every thought captive, what? To the obedience of Christ. I make my thoughts submit to Christ's standards. Not the world's standard, not the devil's standard, not my old nature's standard, but to Christ's standard. And so I become a gatekeeper. 
I let in the thoughts that I work. If a thought comes to my head, this is going to be the best worship service you've ever had at Union Chapel. Is that good? Lovely? Pure? Gracious? Worth repeating? I go with that one. I'll entertain that one. Let's imagine what that would look like. Awesome. And so you begin to adjust your mental health. Change the way you think. Now let me just make a confession to you. My thoughts often disobey me. I struggle with this. In fact, when I was preparing this message, can you imagine the devil messing with my mind preparing this message? So here I am trying to prepare this message, and I was literally I was in my office at home, sitting there studying this stuff, and here's the thought that comes into my head. You should be watching the Olympics. <laughs> I know I should be watching the Olympics, but I, I should rather be doing this. Now you should be watching the Olympics. You know, they only come around for every four years. Every four years, that's it. And I wonder what really cool new winter sport is being displayed right now. You know, there are 20-something kids flying around like squirrels. It's unbelievable. <laughs> On skis. You should watch them. They're crazy. Actually, I have to do this sermon. And so, you know, I just work at that, work at that, work at that, work at that, get out of my, I have to think about this, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Finally, the Olympics got out of my head. The next thing that happened was, you know what you really need? You need a sandwich, some jalapeno chips, and some mud pie. Man, are you hungry. <laughs> I, for the life of me, I couldn't think of anything else but a sandwich and jalapeno chips. Has that ever happened to you? How many of you are hungry right now, for example? Now I'm messing with your mind. <laughs> I'd rather be eating jalapeno chips than listening to this sermon. <laughs> so you have to discipline your thoughts. Uh, my mind often rebels. When I need to ponder, my mind tends to want to wonder, right? I, when I need to pray, my mind drifts away. Uh, some of you have ADD, ADHD, adult version. Your mind goes off in all kinds of different directions all the time. In fact, you haven't heard a word I've said since I started this message. You've just been, just a, you're, you've been everywhere. You've been fishing. <laughs> and, so, and so you have to really work at it. You know, so for some of you, it's hard. You know, you sit down and okay, I'm going to pray now. God, Lord, I'm going to, and you have ADHD, and you just go, I, I, I can't think of anything to pray. You need to say, Lord, you have anything you want to say to me? No, I don't have anything to say to you either. Well, dear Lord, amen. That's all I got. That's all I got. Because you're, my, you're mine. So it, you have to work at this. It's just like if, you're gonna, if you want to build a muscle, you've got to work the muscle. If you want to be healthy physically, then you have to eat right. I mean, you have to push away from the mud pie. You have to eat the right things. You have to do that. It's not, and, and that makes perfect sense to you when you're thinking about your physical health. And so now I'm talking about your mental health, so you have to discipline your thoughts. I want to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It really matters. And let me just remind you how temptation works. Temptation first comes with a natural desire. If you didn't have a desire for something, then you wouldn't be tempted. For example, I've never been tempted to smoke. Not, not for a second in my life. And the reason is because it doesn't appeal to me on any level. In fact, it has just the opposite effect on me. And so I... It's, the devil doesn't say, hey, you know, why don't you start smoking? Because it, it's not going to work with me. And so he doesn't try that on me. Um, but, but the lure of the desire starts with a natural thing. For example, all of us have a natural desire for sleep and for water and for food and for success. We all have a natural uh, desire for sex. All of these are natural and they're actually good when they're in their right place. But if your life becomes dominated by one of these natural desires, so you think, you know, I just can't wait to eat. You know, you live to eat. Food is the most important thing in your life. And, and it can dominate your life. And you become obsessive over what you eat. Then it can affect all kinds of things in your life. You know, a, a fire in your house can keep your house warm. A fire on your stove can, can cook wonderful food. But a fire loose in your house can burn the whole thing down. So that when all you're thinking about is food, it's the, it's, it, you're obsessing over that or over some other desire, natural desire, then it can ruin your life. Temptation turns a routine desire into a runaway desire, and that's what happens uh, in your life. 
Um, here's the second thing that happens. And that is you begin to doubt. Not only do you, do you desire, but then you doubt. And, and you doubt that God really loves you. And you doubt that God actually knows best what to do with your life. And so you begin to doubt God's will is the best thing. And so you think, well, you know, what I think is better. I doubt what God is saying to me. I believe what I'm saying to me. Or what the world's saying to me. Remember, Adam and Eve were put in this pristine paradise, this perfect environment. The Garden of Eden is perfect. It's perfect. And here's Adam and Eve. Now think about this. If you, if you can imagine it, think about it. Here is a, the first man and the f- first woman, both of whom had to be spectacular physical specimens. I mean, imagine a perfect ten on both of these human beings. They're perfect. They're perfect. Everything works perfectly. Everything is perfect. They're living in a perfect world. Climate control, the beauty, the sounds, the smells, everything is perfect. It's perfect. Now now imagine this. A man and a woman, perfect, both naked with no children. In a perfect place. I ask you, how can you mess that up? How can you mess that up? But that's what they did. They ruined it. The devil comes along. He says, here at Yellowstone Park, there's everything. Everything is beautiful. Every, it's, expan- it's perfect. And you can have anything you want. Did God say you couldn't eat of that tree? Yeah, God said you can eat anything I want except from that tree. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't this beautiful? This is fantastic. And the devil says, really? Is that, what, that is so like God, to tell you you can have anything except that. Because that, if you eat from that tree, apart from what God told you, what did he say about that? God said if we ate of that tree, we would die. That is, that is so ridiculous. You're not going to die if you eat of that tree. In fact, God's hiding it from you because he knows as soon as you do eat from that tree, you'll be just like him. You'll be able to think just as lofty thoughts as he does. You'll be just like God. But you can do whatever you want. You know, you can, be, you can have, it, have it all or, you know, live in this horrible, restrictive, sub, sub, suppressive culture here in, here in Eden. They're naked without kids. Come on. <laughs> Leave the tree alone. Who needs the tree? But human nature being what it is, you know, you get a choice and so you run to the wrong thing. Because they didn't discipline their mind. And they didn't work it out. And they began to doubt that God's will was the best will. And so they're deceived. You won't die. You'll be fully alive. See, some of you are fishermen. And you all know that the key to successful fishing is to have the right bait. I've done some fishing in my times. In fact, last weekend I watched the Bassmasters Classic on TV. I do this every spring because it makes me feel... Like spring is coming and there are some people outside fishing. That's nice. Makes me feel better. And, I, and I'm a bit of a fisherman. I used to fish more than I do now, but I was a fisherman, so I got a big tackle box. This is a big one. And it's full of, of special baits. Very alluring baits. Yeah. Some are flashy. Some, some are buzzers. Some have skirts. Some pulsate. They're enticing. And the key to catching fish is using the right bait. Let me ask you a question. What is the bait that Satan uses on you? Is that question stumping you? Let me, I'll, I'll help you get the answer to that question. The bait that Satan uses on you is the one that always works. Every time he uses it, you bite it. We say to ourselves, I know there's a hook in there. I know there's a hook in there, but if I just nibble, just nibble around it, around the edges of it, I won't get caught. It's like, like flirting at the office. What is that about? 
look, I'm, a, I'm full grown. I'm an adult. I know where the lines are. I know where the boundaries are. I won't cross the line. I know if you swallow the thing, you're going to get hooked. But I won't do that. I just nibble. Nibble around it. Listen, what, what I flirt with, I'll fall for. Think about that. It may not be a big thing. It may just be a small thing. Maybe a cupcake. You put a cupcake, 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 <laughs> cupcake, cupcake right there on the corner of your, of your island. And you just, you know, you walk by it. Just look at it. You're coming back through. Raise your eye a little bit. Wink. Next time by you, wink. Maybe, maybe use a couple of words this time. Walk by, hey, cutie. Doesn't have to be a big thing, but whatever you flirt with, you'll fall for. And let me just remind you, you're free to choose whatever you want in life. Free to choose whatever you, you want. You're free to make your choice, but you are not free from the consequences of those choices. Hear me now, because there are consequences that come to every choice. You, what you sow, you will reap, and you cannot choose the behavior and then not choose the consequences. Psalm 119, verse 12, I have made up my mind to obey your laws forever, no matter what. And that's what a wise person does. And a person who has their minds disciplined. So first I have to feed my mind constantly with truth and then free my mind from destructive thoughts. And here's the last point, we'll be done. I must focus my mind on the right things. Focus my mind on the right things. So what do I think about? Well, here's, here's some suggestions. You want to write these down. Number one, think about Jesus. You heard the old cliche, you, you are what you think about most? Well, think about Jesus. You'll be more like him. Think about Jesus. Here's number two. Think about others. Think about others. Don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. That's Philippians 2, verse 4. Now, you realize how countercultural that is. Think about others instead of yourself. You know, the culture says... Be selfish. Be self-centered. Look out for number one. Make sure your, your interests are met first. And that's what culture teaches us. But the Bible says that if, if you're other-centered, that would be better and more fulfilling, more satisfying. Rick Warren, you know, from whom we're getting this series and some of these messages, Rick Warren wrote a book a few years ago called The Purpose Driven Life. Many of you read it. Over 30 million copies of this book have been sold. And to his everlasting credit... Rick Warren chose as the first line of a book entitled The Purpose Driven Life. In other words, these are the five general principles, purposes, why every human being is alive on the earth. This is your purpose and my purpose. This is the, the purpose of the human race, these five things. It's, it's brilliant in its simplicity. And the first line of the book of The Purpose Driven Life is, how many of you can tell me what it is? Say it out loud. It's not about you. It's not about you. And that's a splash of cold water into the face of modern American culture. That's a slap in the face of modern American culture. It's not about you. And the truth is, it's not about you. It's about God. And it's about your understanding of the people around you and how you can express the love of God through your life to make the world a better place and to honor God along the way because it establishes you with a sense of meaning and purpose and significance in your life and it allows your thoughts to be focused on other things besides your own issues. So you think about others. Hebrews 10, 24, let us think about each other and help each other to show love and do good deeds. And then the last thing we think about is we think about eternity. The problem we do today is we have short-term thinking. It's so easy to get caught up in the here and now and, and the, next, the next three weeks. And we, and we don't think properly about forever. Colossians 3.2, set your minds on things above, not things on the earth. Let heaven fill your thoughts. You've heard this adage, only, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. You ever heard that? Bunch of baloney. Listen to me. Only the people who are heavenly minded actually do any good. Only the people who have an otherworldly view and thought life actually engage themselves in effective ways here and now. 1 Corinthians 2.9 No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Listen, for Christian people, listen, the best is yet to come. Yeah. 
There's a, there's a wonderful eternity awaiting. Wow. So I feed my mind on the truth every day. I free my mind from those destructive thoughts, and I focus my mind on the right things, on Jesus, on others, on eternity. I began with this statement. I'll finish with this. God is much more interested in what you think and how you use your, your thought life than he is in changing your circumstances. Because if we can learn to discipline our thoughts, bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and think about the things that are good and honorable and pleasing to God, then we will have health in our minds and the right perspective on who we are, who we are in relationship with God, who we are in relationship with others. And so mental health is very, very important as we move through this life. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, you've given us our minds. We are made in your image. And it could be that this is the greatest gift you've ever given us, the gift of intellect. We realize it's one of our greatest assets. And at the same time, it's a great battleground. And we realize that the world, the flesh, and the devil all team up to thwart our best intentions. Now, friends, let me pray for us. I'll say the words, but you believe them in your heart. God, help me to put into practice what I've just learned. Help me to practice what I've just learned. Help me to make these choices on a daily basis. I want to feed my mind with truth all the time. And I want to free my mind from destructive thoughts by taking every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. To not just let my mind run wild. Help me to be wise to temptation and realize when desires turn to doubt, to deception, to disobedience. God, today, right now, I'm going to make up my mind to obey your word no matter what. So help me to think about Jesus. Help me to think about others. Help me to think about eternity, that my life may be truly transformed. That's my prayer. Thank you for hearing me. In your name I pray. And everyone said, Amen.